Denver, a podcast about good riddance. My name is Josh Lindley. And I am Dan. What's up, everybody? Uh, thanks again for listening. Uh, this week, as per usual, we have three songs to listen to, really uh, spanning the entire career of the band Good Riddance. Before we get too into anything, though, someone reached out this week uh, about our episode about the song Salt. And uh, they were on our team as far as saying, like, yeah, the chaos is good. But uh, specifically, they were at a show in Salt Lake City in 1997 or 98, where Good Riddance and Sick of It All were playing. And Good Riddance got through two songs before they left the stage because the show was so violent that uh, they just couldn't deal with it. And then I started thinking about all these old stories that I used to hear about straight edge kids especially in Salt Lake City. And the idea that in Salt Lake City, straight edge kids are rebelling like, you know, teens do everywhere, except it's already a culture that doesn't drink and doesn't smoke and doesn't promote promiscuous sex. Like it's already Mormons are pretty straight edge. Uh, And I'm sure that if there's any Mormons or hardline straight edge kids listening, they're both real pissed about me saying that. But the idea that in Salt Lake City specifically, when you're rebelling, you're you got to go extra hard. And that's when you hear about like fur trucks getting blown up and stuff. Anyway, just wanted to say appreciate anyone reaching out, starting conversations, letting us know what you think about these episodes. Dan, how do people reach out and let us know what they think about these episodes? So basically what you can do, you can give us a follow on Instagram at LastBeliverPod. Uh, shoot us an email at uh, LastBeliverPod at gmail.com. Uh, if you want to reach out to me specifically, you can at DanSup on Instagram. But if it's like good riddance related and you want to tell us some stories or uh, share some feedback or positive experiences at good riddance shows, uh, yeah, use uh, the Instagram or the email. Um, and should you feel so inclined, we would love it if you would take a moment to subscribe to the podcast, um, or even just tell a friend, uh, that might be into, uh, you know, it might be really into good riddance or just two bozos shooting the shit about punk all the time this week on the show. Oh, before we get into what we have this week on the show, the playlist on ye old Spotify. Oh, I'm going to mention this too. Um, there are several campaigns going around online, uh, based in different countries about upping the amount of money that Spotify could and should be paying artists for their music so that every stream i think the the campaign is trying to get it up to a penny a stream which sounds totally reasonable considering i used to pay 27.99 for four song cds uh paying a penny a stream for spotify sounds totally reasonable and that wouldn't be on the listener it would be on spotify redistributing their wealth so look into that and while you're on spotify check out our playlist for the last believer podcast we have many songs that don't just it doesn't just feature good riddance it features a lot of the stuff that we talk about and maybe frames some of the conversations that we're having on the podcast in a way that uh you might not have otherwise thought of anyhow songs that we're getting to this week tragic kingdom is the first one we're going to talk about we're talking about take it to heart and we're talking about after the nightmare this is going to be another big week Dan, I feel like we're getting comfortable (laughs) and it's also at the point where I feel comfortable just throwing out random things that songs remind me of now. So everyone can buckle up. Uh, First song we're going to talk about, like I said, Tragic Kingdom. So far as I know, it's only ever been available as part of Capricorn One. Uh, In Capricorn One, it says it's previously unreleased. I have heard whispers, though, that there is a tape 
and I don't know if it was a demo or whatever, if anyone who maybe was around Santa Cruz, 92, 93, uh, let us know if this tape exists. Anyway, uh, this song, Tragic Kingdom, is Russ, Luke, Rich McDermott, who was the drummer on Forgotten Country, and then a bassist named Tom Kennedy. So far as I know, this is the only thing, or this recording session actually, is the only thing that Chuck Platt wasn't a part of. Dan, how did you feel about Tragic Kingdom? So we have another Luke song, hey? <laughs> just all at the top of this project, all the Luke songs just pouring out. Um, when when I listened to this, I was like the first time, uh, I may have been into the cups a little bit, but I was my first thing was like, what in the actual fuck am I listening to? Um, it just like, it sounds nothing like I would have thought something that Good Riddance would have put out. Um, it's like high school punk band that pays to play at like a battle of the bands is the total vibe that I got. And I really don't want to shit on someone's art, but I think if we were to have those dudes on (laughs) the show, uh, they may or may not agree that they've progressed in their songwriting, uh, like exponentially. Um, but everything just kind of like sounded off. Uh, And like, I know we all come from like humble beginnings and no bands are like amazing right from the jump. And, uh, but I like really could not get into it. Like it was a very different style too, um, than the other good written stuff. Um, it was more like kind of poppier punk, like kind of like, the, do you remember that band white caps from the nineties that were on I hopeless don't records? Know white caps. There's just like a interesting, like California, like punk. I don't know. Like I, they're a band that I kind of really liked at the time, but like whatever it is, what it is, but yeah, 25 years ago, I probably would have like been into this being like, Oh yeah, cool new band, you know? Yeah. So that's, that's about it. Like musically, I kind of got nothing from it. Um, I couldn't find lyrics online, but from listening to it seems to be a play on words of the magic kingdom, right? The old, uh, sounds like a little Disney song. Um, so with that said, I was like clicking around the internet as, as I do. And uh, I found out, that no doubt put out tragic kingdom in 95. Um, and that they also use it as a play on words for magic kingdom. Fuck man. Like I'm embarrassed. It took me like 26 years to get that play on words. I just thought it was like, (laughs) like I I never, it never clued in, but I was like, Oh yeah. So, you know, again, like just researching around and, um, you know, that this demo came out between 90, 93, you know, in an interview from punk news, that I saw too, uh, Russ was saying about two years ago, um, that he was under the impression that he came up with it first and like that it was, uh, that it was not common nomenclature. Yeah. I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts. Like, is it like a, is it like a parallel thought, like a coincidence? Are they, you know, stealing from no doubt? How do you feel about the magic kingdom? Like what, uh, well, I think as far as the title is concerned, I bet, cause no doubt is from Anaheim, which is right where Disney is. Yeah, yeah, Santa Cruz is further County, north and yeah. Disney is just kind of the everyone knows what Disney is. And I can't speak to having grown up in California. I imagine it's the same thing as, you know, anywhere, really. Everyone knows what Disney is and everyone sees the commercials for the Magic Kingdom. And so I feel like maybe in Anaheim, it might have been a more popular thing than in Santa Cruz. Like maybe sure. maybe 22 year old Russ Rankin was very clever to think of it and had legit never heard it before. Uh, but then when you get to. Anaheim and around that area, everyone just calls it Tragic Kingdom. Like, who knows? First of all, okay, I'm going <laughs> to... Amusement parks are the perfect example of how broken the world is in that you can, like, knock down hundreds of acres of forest, 
destroy important ecosystems, cause all kinds of species to lose their homes. And then these corporate owned parks, you know, prey on children's imaginations forever <laughs> imprinting the idea of consumption as the pinnacle of what could be considered like fun definitely like quotations on fun. Sure. And everyone grows up and we have these memories of these like bastions of consumerism. And we pass that on to other generations without ever considering how that will shape us as adults, you know, how, how that's going to oh. contribute to the destruction of the earth, uh, the erosion of, you know, if capitalism could ever be considerate, this definitely isn't it. You know, rather than investing in preservation of local histories or exploring nature, we give money to Disney or Paramount or Six Flags or whatever. Uh, the food is always terrible. The shirt yeah. prices are worse than Warp Tour. You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, amusement parks are terrible and do way more harm than good. But have you ever been on a roller coaster? That shit is awesome. <laughs> I am actually not a ride person. I don't really have fun on uh, on rides. I go for the uh, the sights and the uh, overpriced stuff. Yeah, <laughs> it's stupid. Uh, yeah. That's why I don't oh, I, like I don't I don't go to like Canada's Wonderland or anything like that because I'm like oh what am, why do I really want to go and do that? But like if I was in Orlando and you know if I was at Fest and I had an extra day, someone's like oh do you want to go to Universal and go to Springfield? Like fuck yeah I do, but. Yeah, I'm not I'm not like knocking down doors to uh, jump on a roller coaster or something. It's not really not really for me. Yeah. And like besides that, Disney, not just the parks, but the company in general has done way more harm than good from setting unrealistic beauty standards to rewriting history and cultural erasure. Plus some real, real sketchy political support and affiliation. Disney is kind of the worst. Um, actually, if you want. Uh, if you want more in-depth criticism of Disney, the dudes over at the Unscripted Moments, the Propagandy podcast, they went deep on it on a recent episode as well. I think it was the Government Cartoons episode. Uh, one of them, I think it was Keith, spent a good like eight to 12 minutes talking about how bad Disney is uh, on a yeah, lot of yeah. different levels. Those guys go deep on a lot of stuff over there. Um, yeah. That said, the song Tragic Kingdom by Good Riddance, though, like you were saying, you can tell it's an early one. According to the liner notes, it's from when Luke and Russ had just started working on Good Riddance. There was a there was a previous band called State of Grace, uh, and I'm not sure exactly where the line is drawn between State of Grace and Good Riddance. Again, if you were in Santa Cruz in the early 90s and you know about this, hey, man, drop us a line. Uh, Andy Ernst, the same guy that produced a, a bunch of the songs that we've gone over, Andy Ernst produced this one as well. And like I was saying, Tom Kennedy is the bassist, and I don't know of anything else Tom Kennedy has done. I feel like, though, around San Jose and Santa Cruz, a lot of those guys kind of play in this band and that band at the same time. And so I'm sure Tom Kennedy shows up on other records. Anyway, the, the riff is cool, and musically it's cool to hear it, but like you said, it's it's definitely a reference point. Or I heard Russ rather on the Growing Up Punk podcast as well, just talking about all the other old guys doing podcasts about bands. And last week he he talked about how he took a songwriting workshop online, like everybody does everything online now. But it was with mm -hmm. uh, Rhett Miller from the old 97s. And in that workshop, he learned. Well, I mean, he used this metaphor where your first 50 or 100 songs are like if you have leaves clogging up a drain pipe. And once you get those out of the way, your good stuff can actually flow. And I think that really applies to this song. You know, it, like you were saying, everyone has to start somewhere and it is cool as a reference point. 
to hear, you know, to hear good riddance sound like your friend's band that is sending demos to labels. And it's really cool because of doing this podcast, how far you can hear that they've come. And I feel like a million years ago in one of the Fat Records, uh, like mailers, when you used to mail order stuff from Fat Records, they would send you a catalog and they would print yeah. a bunch of weird, funny stuff in there too, rejection letters and whatever. And I think mm -hmm. I somewhere I've seen a rejection letter that Good Riddance got from Fat Mike, where he says like, yeah, you've got some okay stuff. Hippie Girl is the good song. I've never been able to actually find the song Hippie Girl. I'd be shocked if Good Riddance hasn't done everything they can to get rid of any trace of <laughs> the song Hippie it. Girl. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely very early stuff and you can sort of hear bits and pieces of what will come but it's also the first step oh man the first step great band sorry but yes it, it's but it's also really cool as you know kind of what you were saying about um it's cool to see to hear like a band uh you know that kind of sounds like your friends who are sending demos out to bands because it really just shows that especially you know with punk is that they're we're all the same man no rock stars we're all just the same people it's not the happiest place on earth all right song number two this week is gonna be take it to heart from the album peace in our time from 2015 russ luke chuck sean uh this song is the third one in on the record I feel like uh, this is where we go off track this week, Dan. What did you think of this one? Why, well, hold on, hold on. Why do you think this is where we go off track? I'll let you get your thoughts out of the way first, and then uh, <laughs> okay. All right. What happens? All right. So this this one's definitely a little bit more my speed than uh, the last one here. Um, really good hardcore punk vibe from the jump. You know, really good chorus, and I really, really like that melody a lot. Uh, maybe, maybe it's just cause I listened to it after tragic kingdom, like in the first thing I was like, Oh man, no, this is, this is a jam right here. So I waited a couple days, listened to it again. <clears throat> yeah. Same, same thing. Like that chorus melody really, really hooked me. I was just trying to, you know, get a little bit more deep dive into it here. So it seems like a low key vegetarian vegan song, right. Or like, or at least I uh, get the feeling of a theme of like overconsumption and gluttony about, you know, specifically with the flesh of animals in the song. I would say the only thing you got wrong there is that it's low key. I wow. Like, I mean, <laughs> I feel yeah, like yeah, rather yeah, than yeah. the turn of phrase low key, like I feel like it's a uh, yeah. It's, it's a yes. bit, yeah, okay. It's not low key. You're right. It's not. Yeah, it's it's I just wasn't sure if that was the only, you know, through line through it, but that was definitely the the main thing. I mean, I personally am not vegetarian anymore. And I yeah. know that old like hardcore adage or whatever. It's like if you're not now, you never were, or whatever. But uh, but yeah, you don't you don't eat meat, right, Josh? That only applies to being punk. <laughs> or yeah, or straight edge. I've heard too. <laughs> or straight edge. Not, you never were, yeah. Uh, but uh, like you, you like you're not really a meat eater, right? You're like you're a vegetarian. No, I've been, no. I've been vegetarian for the last six months. Uh, but uh, we'll talk more about me in a minute. I want to okay. hear more what you think of the song. Um, well, the song like I was all for it. It was good. Um, yeah, I was going to go into like a little vegetarianism, veganism thing, but, um, we'll get <laughs> cause there. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So no, that's, that's pretty much what I have on the song. And then, yeah, I just kind of wanted to know kind of where you were at. Like you're saying, I, I knew this week would come because there are a handful of animal rights songs in good riches. Sure. 
catalog. Uh, you know, on almost every release, at least on the full lengths, uh, they donate a portion to animal rights organizations. Usually it's PETA. Sometimes it's Greyhound Rescues. Sometimes it's more like locally based stuff. Uh, Take It to Heart is definitely an animal rights song, like you said. Mm-hmm. But as we on the show and as long term fan of Good Riddance knows, uh, these songs or these lyrics, especially, I feel like they're presented in a really thoughtful and well put together way rather than just berating and chanting slogans. Um, yeah. You know, it's easy to just yell, you know, meat is murder over and over again. But uh, Russ really makes the argument to reconsider eating animals in an eloquent way. And it's still urgent and still visceral. Uh, mm-hmm. The line, a breach in our compassion is one of those like, Oh yeah, that's wow. It is a breach. In our, okay. Yeah. No. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, the yeah. idea that, uh, yeah. And the idea that lives are taken out of convenience rather than necessity in this song really got me too. And the line, we've got to reconnect ourselves. That's the thing is, is about being vegan, vegetarian, whatever you want to eat. It's really about identifying what it is you're consuming and understanding it uh, Mm -hmm. and really like whether you want to be a part of it or not. And there's the other sort of side part, side note in this song, too, is about uh, advertising and eating meat and how it's portrayed to like be a big, tough man and eat meat. You need all this protein and really buying into that. I think that's a cool angle at it as well. It's just. It's it's dicey to say now because no one wants to believe, you know, doctors at this point. But uh, (laughs) that's a whole other. Yeah. But, you know, like the idea that, you know, men barbecue and you eat steak and there are other vegetarian and vegan good written songs that we'll get to later. But I think Mm -hmm. that this one is written in such a way where it's asking you to think rather than telling you what to do. And I think that's pretty cool. But yeah, um, so yeah, I was vegan for 13 years from the year 2000-ish until 2013-ish. Before that, like from 1996 until the year 2000, I was off and on vegetarian, vegan, vegetarian, like for a while. (laughs) Uh, In the summer of the year 2000, I was particularly uh, broke, and so I was freegan. Which was, you know, mm-hmm. I, I've definitely done some dumpster diving and uh, I've definitely eaten things that maybe contained eggs and dairy, but it was because I needed food out of necessity. Uh, and right. so and so when I stopped being vegan in 2013, it was because I started traveling more and it wasn't like I was traveling to all inclusive resorts where you can just tick a box and say, oh, I'm vegan. And that's right. the meal that you get every day. Uh, you know, when you go places like rural parts of Mexico, say, and you're being put up in someone's house, what they cook for you is what you eat. And I think, I think it really made me reconsider. Like I, I I don't sit around getting hungry for meat or wishing I had eggs or cheese or whatever. I'm not one of the, I'm not, I'm not a cheese person, you know? Uh, you know, people who like cheese fucking love cheese. Yeah. Uh, And I've never been been one of those people, but it really made me reconsider about being vegan and balancing out importance of cultures that I am not well-versed in and don't necessarily understand. And, um, the idea of availability for food and the idea that there are places all over the world where there are legitimate food deserts and, the only Mm -hmm. choices of things to eat come from animals. And so 
my ideas of how important it is to eat meat uh, has changed a lot. The other part of it is that because I've worked in bars and restaurants forever, whether I'm consuming it or not, you know, burgers and bacon have been paying my bills for years. And right. so even if I'm even if I'm not consuming it myself uh, and and yeah, like every bit does make a difference, you know, even meatless Mondays and stuff is like, yeah, sure, that's good. But also my bills have been paid by duck breast forever. Yes. And so for me to ever be too loud about it, it always seemed shitty, which isn't to say I never was. But uh, but yeah. And then in the last six months, what happened? Well, part of it is that I'm not in a restaurant all the time because I haven't really been working for the last year. So availability and convenience changes entirely. And that's something that's addressed in the song, too, is the idea that you're doing it out of convenience rather than actual like health or thinking about it or anything. And so without that convenience, it does change the way that I think about it a bunch. And then in the last six months, uh, the truth of it is I got a kitten and (laughs) it seems like it's, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, so I have a cat. I am looking after this cat. Uh, I don't particularly have an attachment to, uh, animals on any kind of, like there are people out there who absolutely are cat people or dog people or love animals and love everything right. about them, but then still eat meat. And while I'm not that person, I think that if I have a cat as a pet, eating meat seems to me, uh, like, a like a contradiction, which isn't to say that life isn't just full of contradictions anyway, but sure. since we got this kitten, I haven't eaten any meat. So that was about yeah. six, seven months ago now. Yeah, and I can totally appreciate that argument because at the end of the day, what really is the difference between animal A and animal B just depends on how it's marketed and how culturally it's been pushed on us, right? But The best, the best argument to that one I've ever heard is, well, one of them is delicious. <laughs> I hate that so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah, I um, originally I went vegetarian on a bet. Someone bet me that I couldn't do it, um, and they were going to do it at the same time, and whoever broke first lost, right? You know, bets. You know how I work. Um, and I sticked with, sticked with it, stuck with it for uh, for seven plus years, and four of those were like strict vegan too, which was yeah. very weird kind of growing up in like a, a French-Canadian meat and potatoes, like – lower to middle class family right so it was uh definitely an adjustment and then i don't know like 10 years ago i got like this weird uh like life diagnosis and i just went through like this existential like uh life's too short to like restrict myself so i just started kind of consuming what i wanted and not you know for better or for worse not just food um but uh yeah at, at the end of the day like i totally agree with people who live with an animal free lifestyle um you know, and every time I tell this anecdote, I just always think about how much better I felt when I was vegan. But yeah. pizza and poutine, man, like and I have a fried egg sandwich tattooed on the inside of my bicep. So I think I'm fucked. Like, I think I'm uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe I'm lacto ovo for life. Who knows? But uh, yeah, I think I could do I think I, I could definitely do the vegetarian thing again. Maybe not vegan because fuck, I do love cheese and it's kind of disgusting when you think about what cheese is but hey i'm not here to preach i will let you put what you want in your body and vice versa but uh i fully agree with the vegetarian lifestyle and everything kind of rest says in that song too it's not even super preachy it's like yeah 
it's factual. Like, sure, there's, you know, there's you can feel the emotion behind it because he feels strongly about it. Um, but it's not like preaching in your face. It's just straight facts. Like, it's that's yes. And then musically, as the third song in on the album, uh, it's pretty punchy uh, in the verses. And like, it, it really chugs along. I think it's funny, too. I said this about when we did the hardest part as well where I said it's almost like the first time you get a chance to breathe on the album. I feel like Peace in Our Time keeps, it's, I don't know, I don't have all the numbers in front of me, but I'm pretty sure it's the fastest and maybe the shortest Good Riddance full length. You know, it's like 14 songs in 26 minutes or something. And I think that uh, this song, Take It to Heart, is actually the first chance you get to kind of, like it's still really fast, it still really goes, right. but compared to the first two songs on the record, it, it's a bit of a breath. The chorus is one of the catchiest parts on the whole album. Peace in Our Time is like very, very short. Uh, so I guess finding the uh, the catchiest part isn't all that difficult. But the lead <laughs> guitar, the lead guitar all the way through is really attention grabbing. The bridge, uh, the breakdown part is just so good. It's like a classic two step part. And the song goes out on the chorus sounding huge. And I don't know enough mm -hmm. about record production to know how much stuff was doubled or, you know, if there was more space given to it. But the chorus sounds awesome. And yes. I was so fucking happy when Peace in Our Time came out. I loved it because, like, the band had taken, uh, you know, like a nine year break between records. And so you never know what that's going to mean when the first record in nine years comes out yeah and peace in our time is so good and just delivers on everything and i feel like it's pretty awesome to have a band that really comes out of the gate and like i was saying like this song might be the longest song on peace in our time as well like it really it moves at a good clip <laughs> yeah it's not a very long song but yeah that chorus and that the melody just really hooks me like it it's a good one she's a banger The last song we're going to talk about this week, I'm so excited about this one. Uh, the song After the Nightmare. This is the last song on Operation Phoenix, kind of, unless you count bonus tracks. Uh, Russ, Luke, Sean, Chuck, Dan, the what classic. did you think of After the Nightmare? <clears throat> um, great, like, headbanging intro, like, right away. Um, really, like, good, dark lyrics on this one. This is probably maybe the most, like, quote-unquote metal jam that we've had so far from them and i mean i say metal like in quotes and into like like using the term loosely but you know it might be the more you know metal one except for uh, we actually haven't done the kiss cover yet but whatever <laughs> but um, <laughs> uh yeah this this jam might actually be on the outside looking in for my top 10 uh, just because of the overall vibe of it. And mm -hmm. I know in a previous episode, you were like, oh, God, they would probably hate that we said used vibe. But no, like there's a really cool uh, vibe to this. Uh, definitely like um, 
you know, an anti-organized religion song. And as a uh, previously confirmed Catholic turned uh, atheist, I can totally get behind this one. Totally get behind this one. Yeah. Yeah. So again, as, we have three. A, <laughs> Go ahead. Also, as a as a Catholic school kid that by the time he was in the sixth grade sort of had that moment of like, wait a second. Yeah. This is all bullshit. Yeah. 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 Uh, I, yeah. <laughs> I vaguely, I, I vaguely remember that exact moment. Like the details are a little bit hazy, but I know I just, that TSN turning point, you know, give me the, oh, might... give me the details you remember. I'll show you, uh, if you show me yours. <laughs> hey, hey. Um, so I, I went to, it was not a Catholic school. It was, um, whatever. There's a, an English school in Quebec, uh, an English elementary school, again, like around grade five, grade six, I think grade six. And those who went to uh, the uh, the Catholic church versus some of the other denominations um, were just taken out of the classroom. So I think there was maybe eight of us and we'd have like religion class or whatever. And we would learn about it. And I just r- vaguely remember being the only one trying to like question what was going on. I was like, wait, what, you know, but then just kind of slap on the wrist and being told not to question, like have faith and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, I like, I remember the classroom. I don't remember the teacher's name, but I remember kind of what she looked. I don't know. It's weird. That's what I mean. Like it's a little hazy thanks to yeah. years of uh, alcohol abuse. And it was also uh, probably 25 or 30 years ago. So, you know, it was 25 years ago. That sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. Also, no, can we take yeah. a second? You said it was like a, a public English school, but yes. they still had religion class at the public school. Yeah. So what they did was, but they wouldn't subject everyone to like Catholicism or yeah, to Catholicism. So they had like other denominations who were there were like doing the one thing. And then all of us who were part of like a certain church all went to this like secondary classroom where we would learn about this stuff. And that's where I learned how to write a check for my first time. That's probably the only useful thing I learned in that class. The idea that <laughs> a Catholic priest taught you how to write a check, like the joke writes itself. <laughs> it writes? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I feel like I had a similar thing, except I was at – like I went to a Catholic school because it was the one closest to my house when I was a right. kid. Uh, that was the only reason that that was the one I went to. Uh, and – I mean, it was a priest or sorry, it was a church that my grandmother went to all the time. My mom was never into church at all. But honestly, it was out of convenience. And I was really into religion class until I was like nine, ten. And then, yeah, it was the sixth grade. So however old you are in the sixth grade, 11, 10, 11, something like that. I remember yeah, I think so. my birthday is also in December. So I never know what like whatever anyone else's grade is. I'm always a year younger. Anyway, I remember you know, like once a month, the priest comes in and we'll talk to you and you have religion class otherwise, but the priest comes in just to like say hi. And you're actually like, you know, communing with your, with your parish or whatever. And I remember putting my hand up and asking, can women be priests? And he was like, well, no, they can't. And I said, well, wait, does that mean that God is sexist? And the answer I got was Josh, go to the office. And in that moment, (laughs) it was like, it was just like, wait, huh, they didn't, 
Like they didn't even pretend to have an answer for it. It was just like no. independent thought alarm, like on the Simpsons. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Uh, anyway, both of us, neither of us, uh, like maybe well versed. I was actually a best man at uh, friend of the pod, Matt Wu's wedding. And he got married at Catholic church and was kind of concerned because I am at times very vocal about my problems with Catholicism and organized religion. And I do have a Slayer tattoo on my arm. It's a giant pentagram. So, you know, <laughs> maybe it'll be an issue. But what Matt didn't realize is that I had, had gone to Catholic church until I was 12 years old. So I showed up and I know all the hymns. I know all the prayers. Yeah. <laughs> I know all the commands. I know when to kneel. I know when to stand. Yeah. Uh, it's all still in there. First of all, we are blasting through Operation Phoenix. Uh, there's 17 songs on the record, and I think we've done eight of them. And we're only, what, 12, 11, 12 weeks into this. Uh, so, this is the yeah. last proper song on the album. And while it's not a whole lot like any other Good Riddance song, it does feel extremely like Good Riddance for this album. Uh, also for Good Riddance, a band that's not afraid to uh, use pick slides. <laughs> I love you a know, good pick slide. Know, yeah, there's a lot of great pick slides in good written songs. In the song After the Nightmare, there is the longest one. Uh, now you're going to go back and listen to it, and it's like, I swear it lasts half of a verse of a pick slide. Um, the vocals in the song are just crushing. From the first line, they tear through you. The drums feel like they're being attacked. On the rest of Operation Phoenix, they also feel like they're being attacked, but like in a very fast like sword fight kind of way whereas this song sounds like a ogre stomping on a village kind of way <laughs> uh the beat really lends itself to the lyrics as well but the bass line in this song starts like it almost sounds like a version like an updated version of a funeral march and it's played high so but it's still definitely on the bass so it's like eerie and dark sounding the drums working with the lyrics when Russ is shouting about uh, wandering through debris and corpses after a battle, yeah, yeah. like you can picture heavy boots on uneven ground, kind of like the heaviness of the drum beat. It For just, sure. yeah. And it's not, it's not played like straight through. It really leans on the idea of walking on uneven ground. Uh, the lyrics, I know I said it on the time and a place episode, but the more we do this and the more active listening I do, to Good Riddance and to Operation Phoenix, especially, I, I keep thinking of it as a concept album. Like the lyrics here work as an ending to the lyrics in Article Four, especially, which is earlier on Operation Phoenix. We haven't gotten there yet. And like it finishes the album by asking what any conflict is really ever worth it. And mm -hmm. it's such an awesome way to make sure that the listener leaves the album thinking. Um, the mood of the lyrics as well as the music let you know that this is definitely the end of a record. After the Nightmare is like an exclamation point on Operation Phoenix. I, Even when I was younger, we've talked a little about how like faster is better. But even when this album came out, the slowness and yeah, the there's like a general uneasiness to this song. And I've always loved it. Like you were saying, it's it's got like it's it's dark like metal, even if it doesn't sound like metal. Right. But it still has like that vibe to it. Fuck, there I go saying the word vibe again. Um, no, but like it's it's really and especially like as a closer track too. I mean, again, minus the uh, 
bonus tracks as you mentioned but um it's a really good like album closing track too i yeah, yeah. I, when you're talking about the pick slide i'm gonna have to go back now and time it out because i think the longest pick slide i've ever heard is in a teenage bottle rocket song in a song right. called bigger than kiss and it's a crazy pick slide and even in the video it's an animated video that just goes on forever <laughs> in the animation but uh yeah i'm gonna have to go back and listen to that but uh, what I wanted to kind of not sort of wrap on, but, you know, like after we take in these three songs, right, these three good written songs, as we do every week, they all seem, again, to be from different genres or different micro genres, I guess, if you will. And I get that yeah. they're from different records and different eras. And like, you don't want to sound the same all the time. Like, no disrespect to a band like Pennywise. But every Pennywise record essentially sounds the same. I actually have a, a Pennywise theory that their albums move in cycles. There's like, OK, I, I feel like it's not that I would never say that every Pennywise album sounds the same or every Pennywise song sounds the same. But I would say that uh, one in every four Pennywise albums sounds the same as one in every four of the next Pennywise albums. Sure. I feel like I feel like the first album the self-titled sounds a lot like full circle and that's on purpose that's why it's called full circle that makes sense yeah and then unknown road sounds a lot like uh i want to say straight ahead but i'm not sure if that's exactly right like i can't remember all the titles at this point what i do know is that the album about time by pennywise fucking rips and really actually holds up uh for a band that i know does take a lot of heat for releasing a lot of stuff that sounds a lot the same. Yeah. I will stand by the album about time that same. album fucking box. But so in, instead of saying sounds the same, then um, they have a very definitive sound. Yes. That they don't really stray a lot from. I mean, I guess the same could be found for like different eras of like no effects or even that band banner pilot. Like they just have a very distinct sound or even red city mm-hmm. radio. Like you just know what you're getting into as soon as you kind of get into it. This is a, a conversation that I had when I was on tour with uh, closet monster 17 years ago. I remember talking with a band that we were on tour with called the getaway who yes. uh, various members of that band have gone on to play in various members of other bands. Uh, it's not really worth getting into the whole lineage of them, but <laughs> no the way. guy who was playing, the guy who was playing rhythm guitar on that tour And I got into an argument because I said good riddance is as good as anyone at playing the widest variety of styles of punk rock. And keeping in mind, this tour was in 2003. So don't count any UK street punk oi influence stuff. But good riddance has done, I think, an amazing job of being able to play stuff that sounds like no effects, stuff that sounds like Gorilla Biscuits, stuff that sounds like. Descendants, stuff that yeah. sounds like bad religion, you know, and and I think that Goodridden's can play the role of any of those bands, yeah. especially now because they have so many goddamn records out. Like you could take together all of Goodridden's discography and put it back together and have it sound like like one band putting out one kind of song on an album. Yeah. And so basically, yes, no, I, I kind of remembered. So it's it's very much along those same lines in terms of like, so in this block specifically, we go skate punk, pop punk, hardcore, like pop, hardcore pop punk ish to like, I don't know, like death punk. I don't know. I don't want to call it metal or but refer to it as hardcore. But like, you know, it's just three very, you know, it's a lot darker than the other songs, too. 
Yeah. But so like this band continues to blur genres with their influences. And I'm not complaining when I say this, because we've talked about it before, even with Crystal and everything, because there can be something new for everyone. But like it just really brings me back to the interview quote that you said very early on when first working with Bill Stevenson about how um, trying to make the records more streamlined. Right. And Mm -hmm. we kind of see we kind of see that, too, later on, how the records seem to be more kind of concise and less kind of all over the map. But so my question for you, with all that being said, do you think that this variation of styles might be why the band was not as big as the other fat bands like your lag wagons and your no use for name? Granted, like these those bands are a lot poppier and it's not like, you know, good riddance have this very hard and divisive sound either. But Mm -hmm. do you think that maybe the kind of just being all over the place might be why they didn't like hone into one bigger fan base versus having a lot of like casual fans from different kinds of genres well there's a couple different (laughs) there's a couple different uh interviews that you can find on youtube that russ has done in the last five or seven years really and it's funny how many people will bring up specifically the albums ballads from the revolution and operation phoenix and russ's take on it is always like yeah operation phoenix is where we cemented who the fan base was and in doing so, also lost a huge percentage of our fan base. Got it. He sort of jokes about it, but also, you know, maybe sort of wishes that uh, more people had stuck around because on later albums, they do like they keep exploring different spaces of what melodic hardcore or whatever micro genre. Also, I love that we've started using micro genre. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, cause it's still punk. It's still like hardcore punk and skate punk, but like, yeah, it's not like they're putting out a fucking hip hop song and then doing like a jazz fusion track between like two blistering hardcore songs, which, which like fine. If they did that would be kind of cool, but I am like, so down for that shit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Have you listened to soul glow's new seven inch? It's awesome. Anyway, oh, uh, I ha- I've been seeing ads for it and I really want to listen to it, but I haven't listened to it yet. Yeah. But, we uh, but yeah, I think I think that, yeah, if Good Riddance was more predictable, then everyone would know what they were getting. And I think that part of why I think Good Riddance is so cool is because at times, you know, they'll have parts that sound like talk talk or whatever, <laughs> you know, uh, right sure. next to a part that sounds like, I don't know, slap shot. You know, there's there's so much stuff. Uh, so I put out listener questions today. Uh, we aren't going to address it because we've already been talking for a bit, but somebody wrote back asking me a grammatical question about the song Cheyenne, which we haven't talked about yet. Don't ask me about grammar. There's a reason why we're podcasting and not writing. (laughs) Yeah. 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 (laughs) Well, say put a pin in that one for when we pull the number. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe when we, maybe when we get to Cheyenne, we can address that. Dan, have you got a random number generator ready to go? I do, I do. As I'm pulling it up here, was there any, so you didn't want to address any kind of listener questions at all today? No, leaving it alone. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, one thing that came to my attention today uh, was that Good Riddance coffee, though. Oh yeah, I ordered some. Yeah. It is on the oh, way. Oh, you did? Okay. Yep. I was I was gonna ask if you ordered some, and if you were gonna say no, and I was gonna click my buy button and be like, well, it's on its way, but you already ordered it. So mine's going to come shortly thereafter. Let's see if we can get the guys from the coffee roastery on the pod. That'd be sick. <laughs> Let's see. If anybody, Let's if anybody knows, goes. if anybody knows them and wants to, uh, broker that introduction, yeah. holla at your boys, <laughs> send them our way. 
All right. All right. So our numbers, the first number I have for you is 172. All right. 172 is memory serves. That's going to be, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's one of the tracks that's called Behind These Walls from the Benefit for the World Food Program. So that's a Bandcamp only release. If you're listening right now, that one's not going to show up on the Ye Old Spotify playlist. However, go buy the benefit. It is a benefit for the World Food Program. Help get food in people's bellies, especially during this pandemic. Uh, the next number is 125. All right. Ah, 125. Going to... Uh, one of the songs from Thoughts and Prayers, we're doing Rapture. It's the second song in. Uh, again, newer, couple of, couple of newer ones. Did you say the song is called Rapture? Like the yes. Blondie song? Okay. Just let, it, it is a cover of the Blondie song. Don't Imagine. tease me like that. Don't <laughs> tease me like that. <laughs> the third number will be 109. It's going to be uh, the last song from My Republic. It's called Uniform. I feel like that one's going to be uh, right up your alley, Dan. Uh Uh-oh. I feel like that one's a Dan jam. (laughs) For better or worse. Dan, if people want to share thoughts about those songs with us, how do they do that? So what they can do, they can jump on the old Instagram machine, find us at Last Believer Pod. Uh, alternatively, send us an email, lastbeliever_pod at gmail.com. If you know the fine people who did the Good Riddance Coffee and want to get them in touch with us, use that email address as well. Um, yeah, and we would love it if you could kindly take a moment to uh, like and subscribe, give us a little five-star review, even if it's just one word, really helps kind of boost it up so that people can kind of find us. But what would be even better in terms of grassroots marketing, tell a friend. Uh, someone who might like good riddance or just wants to hear us uh, shoot the shit about punk, but more so about how, uh, you know, our diets and former religious practices, <laughs> you know, all the important yeah. stuff, you know, uh, yeah. we do have we do have some stuff in the works, too. Um, without spoiling anything in the next few weeks, there is going to be a, bon- a bonus episode that shows up in your feed that is good riddance related but not exactly the sort of episode that you've gotten used to so keep an eye out for that if you've been listening and you work with good riddance or fat records or uh, anything like that we're playing parts of good riddance songs we don't have the rights to do that necessarily if uh you've got an issue with it please just reach out and let us know all those songs written and recorded by good riddance various years my name is Josh Lindley. Thank you for listening to this episode of Last Believer, a podcast about good riddance. And uh, we'll be back next week. Yeah.